Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky what a show we have for you today hank steinbrecher is in 13 hall of fames count him 13 he is a united soccer coaches honor award winner he is a u.s soccer federation winner fricker award winner he is in the national soccer hall of fame he is simply a legend and he was there to write the second check to start the united soccer coaches foundation way back in the day we are reminding you that applications are still available through late september for opportunities to attend the convention get educational courses you name it and we hear that message from one of the legends of the game Hank Steinbrecher. Following him, Lori Walker-Hawk, now in her 26th year leading the Ohio State Buckeyes women's soccer team, and G. Guerreri, now in his 30th season, leading the Texas A&M Aggies women's soccer team. They are on to talk about an expanded season model, again, just for the fall and different from the 21st century model that the men are pursuing. Lori Walker Hawk and G. Guerreri will break down the benefits of an expanded season model in the fall. You will find it fascinating. And remember, on the United Soccer Coaches, we cover coaches at all levels. A great visit with Martin Conway in his third year as the boys and girls head soccer coach at Langtree Charter Academy in Mooresville, North Carolina. He's from Scotland, grew up in England came over to the States to go to UW-Green Bay, transferred to Marquette, was very successful in the business world, and now is applying all that he has learned as a soccer coach and a leader in the soccer community. Martin Conway is a superstar as well. Hank Steinbrecher, Lori Walker-Hawk, G. Guerreri, and Martin Conway. Big time show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with a true legend of the game, a true icon, a man who's been inducted into 13 Hall of Fame, as well as receiving the Honor Award for United Soccer Coaches, the Werner Fricker Award for long-term service, and he's also a National Soccer Hall of Fame member. We're talking about the great Hank Steinbrecher, who's here to talk about the history of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, and more importantly, 
the idea that you need to act now, you need to apply now to get one of the scholarships because the applications end in late September. Before I bring on Hank, I want to reread the vision of the history of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. The first paragraph, just to show you that Hank Steinbrecher has always put his money where his mouth is. The idea for a National Soccer Coaches Association of America Foundation, now, of course, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee, was first introduced by then President Bill Holloman at a 1989 Board of Directors meeting. He then spoke of the concept of a foundation during his president's remarks at the 1989 convention. In a meeting with incoming President Peter Gooding, Bill Holloman expressed his desire to get the foundation started and wrote a $100 check as an initial donation. After hearing about Bill Holloman's contribution, of course, Hank Steinbrecher also wrote a check. The formation and organization of the foundation was developed and expanded under later presidents. And as we welcome in my good friend, a man who I worked for, I consider him my first boss. I consider him my best boss, Hank Steinbrecher. Yeah, Hank is with me now. One heck of a compliment. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for being on here as we're talking about the foundation. And I wanted to reread that opening paragraph, Hank, because you knew how important it was. You heard that Bill Holloman wrote a check for $100, and sure enough, you did it right after. Belly up. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I remember when this started, I received a call from Al Albers, and he said, listen, this is what what we want to do. We want to raise a million dollars for the foundation, National Soccer Coaches Foundation. And I thought, that's ambitious. Well, we knocked that out within five years, which was was unbelievable. I was always committed to, to this type of program. When I was a young coach, I think the, the wisest decision that I had made was to join the NSCAA at the time. Uh, as a young 25-year-old coach, it opened so many doors for me an opportunity through the convention to, uh, to learn from other coaches. Uh, and you know, soccer is kind of unique in that coaches are not afraid to share information and material. So the convention was incredibly important. But it, it's also important that you give back to the game that you, you loved. And uh, I thought this foundation would be perfect. You know, right away, Mike Curry, African-American man who's gone on to great success. He's been another instrumental leader in the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. And he sent me an email yesterday on a Sunday and said, hey, I know you're going to talk to the great Hank Steinbrecher. I just want you to ask him one question. And of course, Hank, in typical form, you've already touched on it. And he says to please ask Hank, why is it important for coaches to support one another? And why is it important for the future of our game And like I said, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but in your own words, why is it important for coaches to support one another? I see soccer pretty much from a global perspective. I had a pretty high seat at one time, and I see the, some of the psychodynamics of our sport. And I have to say that early on, not so much now any longer, but early on, soccer coaches suffer from a a minority mindset. We're a a minority sport. We are a minor sport within the collegiate environment. uh, And we suffered this this mindset of being not as important as football, basketball, and baseball. 
And to me, that was all bull, you know what. But the way in which we could elevate ourselves as a sport and, and whole, as a whole is, is to have an umbrella national organization where we exchange not only schedules and making schedules and some of the logistics of the sport, but, but to share the, the subtle nuances of coaching. You know, what would you do if this situation occurred on your team? How would you handle that? And it's very important for young coaches to be able to do this. And happily now, uh, there's money there that people who, who are deserving to go and share these ideas and, and the intellectual dialogue of the game and the excitement of what's happening in soccer in America today. There's money now there for people to apply to get a scholarship to go to the convention. It's very important to start out your career. Uh, heck, even later on in your career, it, it's important to belong to your national uh, organization. Whether you're a doctor, uh, belong to the, uh, the medical association, a lawyer, the, the bar association. For us, it's the NSCAA, and now the United Soccer Coaches. We're here with the legend that is Hank Steinbrecher talking about the importance of applying now to receive a very special scholarship from the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. The application deadline date is late September. That's going to be right around the corner. And one of the great things, Hank, over the years, it has allowed people that you know, didn't have the resources to get to a convention, to get to a convention. And there's so many stories that go with it where these people that didn't have the funds to get there, not only did they get there, they end up getting great jobs out of it, Hank, and, and end up with great, great futures in coaching. I mean, my first convention was uh, uh, in New York in 1968 at the Commodore Hotel. And I was a student, but I knew I was going to be a coach. I was going to be a soccer coach. And my coach, Greg Myers, uh, brought me to that convention. My first coach in college, I went to junior college, community college, was Warren Swanson, another honor award winner. And at the time that I was playing for him, he was the president of the NSCAA. So I had this always in the back of my mind. But I can remember as a young coach, and I coached at some really small schools, we had no money we would go four, six guys to a room. And we'd have guys literally sleeping in the bathtub. Now, people today say, no, that's bullshit. Well, excuse me, that's BS. Uh, it, it is absolutely, it's not BS. Well, it's it's a podcast, so you're allowed to say bullshit, Hank. So that's okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a little laugh about that. You know, when I think about it as well, you know, Jay Engallen, when he got involved early, his goal was to allow Native Americans access to coaching education so they can coach their kids. I mentioned Mike Curry coming in to do some more outreach for african-american and get out into the inner cities and that continues to be one of the focuses and uh, you know the word is as we continue to have people on and nobody better than you hank steinbrecher talk about the foundation but you know the world cup's coming in 2026 we hope to make a lot of noise but a lot of people say until we really do reach out to every pocket of america and you know try to get away from just the pay for play type of players that's when we can win a world cup do you think that that's the case dean do you have any idea what uh, happened to used u.s national team uniforms no tell me please native american tribes okay 
that we donated after, after we, our use, we donated them out. When you travel the globe as I have, you know that soccer permeates society from the very top to the very bottom of, of society. And we're not nearly there yet in terms of outreach of bringing in other aspects of the American society. It's a difficult task because we're, we, are, we have more people from around the world than any other nation in the world. So getting everyone together can be a very, very difficult task. But, but once again, what's the vehicle to drive this? And the vehicle is the, is the coaches association. I think it's critically important. And it's been critically important for the growth of the game in America. When I say these names, Ray Burnaby, Ron Broadbent, Miller Bulliarly, Whitey Burnham, Dr. Ray Sieplick, Mickey Cochran, Bob DeGrazia, Jay Engel, Bill Holloman, Robert Nye, Karen Stanley, and then later Warren Mercero, you, Janet Rayfield, Peter Gooding, Steve Beal, Al Albert, all of these people with big time names, big time resumes. Most of them, like you, are in Hall of Fames. I don't think any of them are in 13 Hall of Fames for that matter. But what is it about these people that have achieved such great success that makes them stop, breathe, and say, hey, I want to help? The very essence of coaching is giving. It's giving. It's caring. You're concerned about your athletes. You're concerned about your, your players. And the coach's mentality, teacher's mentality, is giving. And you look at all of those, those names, vast majority are educators. The vast majority of those people are educators. And they're in it to share it. They're in it to, to help others. They're there to give. Hank Steinbrecher, an incredible career, essentially responsible for the Gatorade shower. I want to remind everybody that there's an hour documentary video perspective still on United Soccer Coaches where Hank and I spent time a year ago. And in that, we also talked about his current health situation. We're not going to bring that up other than to say that he is still rocking and rolling. Back on July 11th, he turned 75. On August 12th, he celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary with his beautiful wife. Those are two really solid numbers there, Hank. If what it means is I am old, <laughs> <laughs> but I've made it this far. And you know the disease I have. It's not expected that I would make it this far. The average length of time with someone longevity for a male with this disease is 56 years old. So I'm definitely an outlier and the doctors like to study that. So well, here I am. Here you are. Well, I mean, it's, it's very much true, Hank, though. Good things happen to good people. And I think part of uh, your incredible longevity and all you've done is because, you know, you've always carried yourself in such a professional way. And you've also understood what things like the United Soccer Coaches Foundation can do for other people not maybe as lucky as you. Kind of a repeat question, but just for emphasis, reminding people they need to apply because it could change their life. I started my coaching career at a school of 500 students. Okay. Zero money. <laughs> Zero money. If it wasn't for help from other coaches, my, my coaches, uh, I, I would not have succeeded in our game. You know, you rely on other people uh, to help you out. And again, I'm going to say, what's, what's the ship that takes us there? What's the vehicle that uh, improves the game, the coaches, the, the coaching in this country? What is that vehicle? Ask yourself, why is it that Bruce Arena always goes to the convention? 
he's so well established. Why? And he always, he's always giving back. Uh, why, why are all these big names coming to the convention? It's to give, it's to share. And if, if you're from a school or in a financial situation where you cannot afford to get down to the convention, this is an opportunity for you to do that and an opportunity for you to learn. I guarantee you, you will be energized after the convention. I mean, we're talking 10,000 people, uh, 10,000 soccer coaches. It's an unbelievable experience. If you can't afford it, please, please, please apply. The money's there. The money is there. The money is ready and waiting. Just going to ask two more questions. One, unrelated to the foundation, but part of the Hank Steinbrecher legacy. I mentioned the 13 Hall of Fames, the Honor Award, Werner Fricker, the U.S. Soccer National Hall of Fame, the fact that you just celebrated your 50th wedding anniversary, which might go above all of that, um, <laughs> I think you might say, but another- cool My thing. wife who goes all above that, she, <laughs> she suffered. <laughs> yeah, well, and she's got to be super excited about the fact that coming up in just a few weeks, there's going to be a field named after you, Hank. Can you talk about that? Well, uh, it's the sport complex, uh, not just the field, at uh, the school that I started my coaching career. Warren Wilson College. I have remained, I tell this story and most people may not believe it, but uh, I was very, very close to that team, very close to the players. My first job, we had a, a very fine team. Warren Wilson at the time was pretty much a missionary school. So we had a number of students that had some talent, but they lacked discipline and tactical awareness. And we were able to mold that team into being quite quite a good, good ball club. So the players of that team decided they were going to get together and uh, raise enough money uh, to have a field named after me. Well, lo and behold, it was now the athletic complex and a scholarship. Uh, so I'm really honored and, and uh, touched by it. During the World Cup, Dean, and you'll remember this, opening game for the World Cup was uh, in Chicago, uh, right next to Soccer House. It was a lot of work, <laughs> you know, let's, let's be honest. And I'm in this stadium in the VIP area and they're starting to play the national anthem before the game. I look around at Soldier Field, Chicago being my home, look around Soldier Field to see it's so full and so colorful. World Cup in the United States, oh my God, I still get chills. But who do you think I was thinking about? It wasn't a struggle to get all to, up to this point. I was thinking about that first team that I had as a coach. Great group of men. Very much as he taps his heart. We'll end with this. And that is kind of going back to Mike Curry's second part of that question. And that is, why is the United Soccer Coaches Foundation so important for the future of our game, Hank Steinbrecher? Coaching education comes in many forms. You have your national association, U.S. Soccer runs coaching schools, you have coaching schools. In my opinion, most learning of coaching does not come in a school setting. It comes when you're sitting in a classroom with other students and having a dialogue about what, what's, being, what's being taught, where you have this open exchange of ideas and people, different ways to play the game. It's important, it's, it's educationally important. U.S. soccer's coaching schools are not the answer for everyone. It's an awfully long time commitment right now for an A license. 
So it may not be for everybody. And National Soccer Coaches Association or United Soccer Coaches, they, they can service everybody. That initial exchange of ideas and, and that, that's so stimulating is, is very important. So I think it's, it's, it is very important for the future. It's an organization that helps support the game. As I said, I've been involved since 1968 and still involved in it. Great organization. And if you don't have the funds to get there, there are scholarships to help you. We want the sport to continue to grow and one day have the American teams win more than just women's World Cups. We want excellence from top to bottom. Referees, coaches, players. The legend that is Hank Steinbrecher kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast and talking about the importance of right now applying for a scholarship from United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Hank, it's great to see you. Always a pleasure. Exciting times about the complex, not just the field at Warren Wilson as well. The Hank Steinbrecher complex is going to be incredible and plus a scholarship to go with it. And if I have any way in between my call and games to get there, both Lee and I are going to do our best to at least make no, we love, Dino, we would love, Ruth Ann and I would love to see you there. Yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to try to make that happen. And thanks for making this happen, Hank. It's a, it's a real honor. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dino. Hey, Dino. Love you, man. Love you too, Hank Steinbrecher. And I do believe anybody that has met or worked with Hank Steinbrecher, they feel the same way. They love Hank Steinbrecher and all that he's done for the game. Hank Steinbrecher dedicated a lot of time to college soccer. Women's college soccer season is underway. The men's college soccer season starts today. Tomorrow, 6 o'clock on the Big Ten Network, I'll have the call for BYU in Columbus at The Ohio State University. Their longtime coach, Lori Walker, Hawk has joined up with Texas A&M's legendary head coach G. Gerary talking about a transformational schedule for women's soccer at the D1 level and also talking about their teams, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Texas A&M Aggies respectively. Lori Walker Hawk and G. Gerary will be my guest after these messages. You're listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your players' development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. I want to thank the great Hank Seinbrecht for kicking off the show. Now we're talking college soccer, my favorite part of the year. And in her 26th season at the helm of Ohio State women's soccer, head coach Lori Walker-Hawk, a North Carolina graduate and three-time Big Ten Coach of the Year, has led the Buckeyes to 15 NCAA tournament appearances in the last 20 years, including the 2010 College Cup. 273 wins and counting, two Big Ten regular season titles, three Big Ten tournament titles, 11 All-Americans with more wins to come as she has the Buckeyes off to a 2-0 start this season. And by the way, her Ohio State team will be featured on the Big Ten Network tomorrow night, 6 p.m. when they take on BYU. I'll have the call. Looking forward to that. Welcome, by the way, Lori Walker-Hawk to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Dean. Great to be here with you. And also joining Lori is the great G. Guerreri, one of the winningest coaches in the history of NCAA Division I soccer. G. has established Texas A&M as a premier program in the nation, entering his 30th season as the Aggie skipper. He has led the Maroon and White to 18 conference championship crowns and 26 NCAA tournament trips, which include 16 Sweet 16, 7 Elite Eights, and an appearance in the 2014 College Cup. G. Guerreri is a five-time Conference Coach of the Year and three-time United Soccer Coaches Central Region Coach of the Year. Texas A&M has started the season with a tie against a very good Clemson team and a win, and they'll play Sam Houston tonight at 7 p.m. Welcome, G. Howdy, Dean. Great to be with you. All right. By the way, you two will face each other on September 4th, the day after Notre Dame plays Ohio State in football. Gee, you'll be in Columbus for that game. Good luck with the traffic, by the way. And then they'll play on Sunday at noon. So, Lori and Gee, let's first talk about that matchup. I know we got bigger things to talk about, and that is the expanded season model. But it's pretty cool, Gee, that you're making the trip to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. Well, we're excited about it. It's a return trip. Lori and the team were here a few years ago. And we were going to go back in 2020, but circumstances changed. I think in, instead, didn't you guys went and we're going to open the stadium at Carolina, right, Lori? Yeah, we were going to go to the Carolina Stadium opener. And then, of course, that didn't happen either. So this is, uh, <laughs> uh, everything is uh, is flexible since COVID, right? So we're, we're certainly That's looking right. forward to, to hosting Texas A&M. It's always a great matchup. Last time at your place, G, I think uh, you beat us one nothing. So we're excited to have you here in town. And um, yeah, it will be a wonderful atmosphere. Notre Dame football game kicks off at 7:30 at night, so we will be the hangover at noon on Sunday morning. Yeah, we're we're banking on a lot of headaches the next morning to uh, right. keep people keep people quiet. Oh, it's awesome that you guys not only are winning coaches but have a great sense of humor as well. But we're here to talk about an exciting opportunity. It's right now branded as the expanded season model, and I'll let Lori you dive right in and G you follow up on what this means for women's soccer Division One style. Well, there's been a group of coaches that have been working on this concept probably for close to 10 years. And, you know, you're always waiting for the perfect moment to release the beast, if you will. And, and we really feel that now is the right time. And we're calling this the expanded season model because in, in the women's game right now, we, we believe that the best way to approach the future of college women's soccer is to maintain a fall season model. But we have the need to really decompress and provide a better atmosphere for our student athletes. And the best way to do that is to put a little bit more time in the front end where we can add some preparation time and some acclimation period, which will extend us a little bit into July, start the season a couple of days earlier, and then decompress and add a couple of weeks on the back end. We can do this by maintaining everything in the fall season, 
we're really excited about it. It gives the student athletes really that opportunity to maintain that academic calendar and continues to maintain what we have always considered the traditional spring semester where development is, you know, really such a key part of the collegiate experience. And this is something that is really exciting because we've had so much support across the board by the other Division I women's coaches. A survey was done last week and 330 of the 348 programs responded and they responded overwhelmingly in favor of this model. 92% of the coaches said that they want to stay in the fall semester. And, you know, it's a big deal because I think a lot of people keep trying to pit this model for the women against the model that the men are trying to do with their two semester model. And back in 2019, again, all of the coaches were polled. They were polled by their conference reps to see, okay, do you want to try to expand the fall or do you guys want to try to go with uh, what the men are trying to do with their 21st century model? And of the 32 conferences, 30 of them came back saying that they wanted to find a way to stay in the fall semester, to just decompress those games and get in the fall semester. So over the crazy summer, the COVID summer of 2020, Lori and myself and a, a task force of other coaches said, okay, this is what the coaches overwhelmingly want. 83% wanted this across the board at that time. How can we use all this science that's coming out Use the science that the men have, have done a, such a great job of finding about decompressing the soccer calendar. And what can we do that makes the game better for our women, but also enhances the student-athlete experience? And so that was what we went into this with. And I feel pretty good about where we are. There's no perfect model because there's so many different moving parts in the academic year from institution to institution. Plus you've got Thanksgiving that's in there. You have the Christmas holidays. You've got a summer break that you don't want to mess with too much. So there's no way of just saying, okay, well, we're going to just designate this time and nothing else is going to happen. We've got to be able to work around a lot of those things. So knowing that it's not a perfect world, this was the very, very best that a lot of these people were able to come up with. And the people who were on the task force were some great coaches, some real leaders, men and women. I think it was eight women and five men on the committee. And it was from Washington State down to Florida, over to California, up to the Northwest, through the Midwest, talking to Power Five schools, talking to mid-major schools so that we had a chance to talk about budget and weather and everything else that could cause a problem. And again, like Lori said, this was the beast that we've been able to kind of come up with that is being so overwhelmingly supported by the coaches now. You mentioned that beast and Lori, I feel like you have specifics about when you want to start and when you want to finish. How much of that can you share? There's basically three parts that we've looked at. And, and the last part, unfortunately, we only can influence. And that's what we would call the championship segment. There's a championship committee that we hopefully are influencing and can take a look at this and say, you know, overwhelmingly, this makes sense. We can't really lay that out for them. They will have the final say in what that championship will look like. But we have put together what we think is a, a really grand idea. And again, as, as G had mentioned, this came out of our COVID year. We learned a lot during COVID, right? And, you know, while we were all in it, it seemed horrific and, and it was challenging in many ways, but there were great lessons that we learned. And during that championship segment in COVID, we were all located down in North Carolina. And the Sweet 16 group that came out of that 
were all stationed in one area of Raleigh. And the way that that championship was run, it really made for an amazing experience for those programs. And so what we started to brainstorm about was, could we expand our current four College Cup team tournament to make that a larger experience? And so what our suggestion is, is that we expand the current four model to an eight team model. And there are a couple other reasons that I think that that would be really great. We've moved this segment now back and it would happen right around Thanksgiving, the NCAA tournament would start which will start to present some weather challenges to Northern schools. And so if we can get that championship in a warmer place in a Southern area and those eight teams can gather, what an amazing experience to have those eight teams together over you know, a two weekend period of time and the way that we can potentially market that and have recruiting events over those two weekends. We really believe that it could be a heck of an experience for those student athletes, for those coaches. And it would mirror what some of those schools experienced during that COVID segment when everything was located there, really in your backyard, Dean, in, in Raleigh. So that's really that one segment of the championship phase. The competition phase would wind up being extended from what is right now an 11-week season. It would be extended to a 14-week season or a 15-weekend season. And that's what gets a little bit confusing. For most of us, that would include a championship tournament at the end. And the beauty of that segment is it still allows coaches to put their art on their schedule. How do they want to manage those 14 weeks? We would move the start of the season from a Thursday to a Sunday. And all of us would start on a single game if that's where you wanted to start. There's obviously a few coaches and programs that cannot start on a Sunday. We would want to respect that. But everybody would start potentially with one game in their season. And then you would be able to spread your season out and decompress that segment of, you know, our 20 games over now a 14 week season, as opposed to an 11 week season that's adding in rest. It is putting student athletes back on campus for longer periods of time, less time away, better sleep in their home environments, less class time missed the benefits to the student athletes sort of goes on and on. And then backing away from that, preseason would be pretty much similar to what it has been. It would be a normal two-week preseason. But the biggest thing is that we learned from COVID is preseason is too condensed. You cannot go back from a summer segment and have our student-athletes on campus on a Tuesday and play a scrimmage on a Friday. It's just too much. It's too much on the body. These student-athletes are running upwards of six miles in a game. What we have found is that they need additional time to acclimatize, right? And get their bodies physically better prepared to make that transition back into the college game. And so our suggestion has been to have that acclimation period and it would be a 10 day period on the front end. And that would start somewhere around the July 15th and it would be 10 days, five days, Monday through Friday, weekends would still be off. And that would allow soccer coaches to have up to 10 hours Five of that would be soccer. Five would still be for conditioning and strength in the weight room. And it would give us that ability to then have that transition where we could communicate with our strength coaches and we could prepare our teams in a better manner and have a better transition on the front end. So when you start to put all these pieces back together, there is now a better transition for the student athletes. Coaches now have a better ability to put their own art on how they would like that transition to be. Programs have more flexibility to say, this is what makes sense for my schedule and for the way that I want to coach. If you want to bring a team back in July, you can. If it doesn't make sense for your university, 
It's not a required start date. You financially can't really afford it. There's that flexibility in there as well. And so it's a better acclimatization to bring these student athletes back into the sport. Tremendous breakdown. And gee, you mentioned science in your opening comments right there. And one of the things that is portrayed in that science is the fact that the players can't recover quickly enough. And by expanding it now, an extra 15 weeks, if a player does have an injury, they have more time to recover and they miss less games. Is that also part of the goal of this expanded season model? Of course, of course, it makes it to where even someone who had a a really bad injury at the start of the season in August, the better chance of them potentially being able to go by the time they get to the postseason. But, you know, one other point I wanted to make along with what Lori was saying is the coaches are overwhelmingly in favor of expanding the season. The only issues that have come to us about the acclimatization period really is about finance. Is it going to create a bigger gulf between the high dollar programs and the low dollar programs? And again, Lori mentioned it, that what this does is it gives people flexibility to do what's best for them. And even if you have a team of, let's say you have 20 players and 14 of them are doing an internship on Wall Street, or they're overseas on a study abroad, or they're doing an internship at San Francisco or wherever they are, and they're not on campus, but you only have six kids on campus, this would at least give you the opportunity to work with those six kids. And we don't have that opportunity right now. So instead of us going to the lowest common denominator of the minimums, it gives us more opportunities to be flexible and to adjust into those spaces so that if you want to play in the season, a single game weekend, and then you play a Thursday, Sunday, and then you come back with a Friday or whatever you want to do, or maybe you play mostly single game weekends in your conference schedule, it's completely flexible. It's always up to the coaches, the programs, and the conferences to figure out what is the best thing for us and what's the best way to help our student athletes. Lori, it sounds to me like this plan will require less NCAA bureaucracy, less NCAA legislation. Am I right about that or wrong about that? Well, I am by no means an expert on NCAA bureaucracy, but I do think that when you start to look at it, it fits in with the current academic model, right? And that was our goal was to to remain more in line with what is happening on campus. And, And if you start to look at spring sports, for example, right, your lacrosses, your baseballs, your softballs, they tag on and they push their season into May, right? So the academic calendar has ended and now they continue to stay on campus even into June. And so if you just flip that, right, we're coming back a little earlier to start our season, but we are now still in line with the way that the academic calendar goes. So to me, it makes a lot more sense. There are some hurdles and there'll be some challenges. Gia's mentioned there are quarter schools that are gonna need to work through some things and there'll be some challenges with when final exams fall. But, you know, as well, women's soccer, I think, has one of the highest GPAs. When you look around the country, we are very strong in the classroom. And so if my team is playing for a national championship and we need to make some adjustments for final exams during that time, I think that most universities will help accommodate for that and exams can be adjusted. So I think that there's more flexibility and the idea of moving away from an 11-week season where you probably had, let's say, the opportunity to play four single weekends and seven double play weekends, we now might be in a position where we could play eight single play weekends and maybe only four or five double play weekends. Like that's a huge difference. 
you know, to have those single play weekends and eight of those keep you on campus and, and not be away quite as much. It really changes the academic experience of your student athletes. And I think overall, it will greatly add to what that experience looks like for our student athletes. It's also a way for us to actually save some money on this, the opportunity. And, and what I mean by saving money on this, yeah, we, we might be bringing players back 10 days early, but the reason we're bringing those 10 days into the scheme is because we're trying to reduce injury in our athletes. Having such a condensed preseason as it is right now, the chances of players going down, for example, with an ACL, one ACL, now all of a sudden, what does that cost the university? It's going to cost them for whatever the insurance and the surgery is, but it's also going to cost them for the extra year that that student athlete is now around and you're having to pay for that player one more year. If we could just find a way to diminish the opportunities for injury, it'll actually will be a cost savings and it'll be something that can actually help us as a hierarchy in our athletic departments. 60 plus years of coaching experience. We're here with Lori Walker-Hawk, the head coach of the Ohio State women's soccer team, and G. Guerreri, the head coach of the Texas A&M women's soccer team. And Lori, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. How can United Soccer Coaches help push this expanded season model through? How can they assist all of you fine coaches? Some of the challenge right now is the NCAA is a little bit on a hold while the transformation committee makes a lot of big decisions. And right now the conferences are not in a position to be able to sponsor this. So the Big Ten can't sponsor it. The SEC can't sponsor it. It has to go through a student athlete experience committee or another committee. And so our hope is that the United Soccer Coaches can help to be a united voice for us. They've helped with the surveys. They're helping us with just being the organizational force behind it. And for us right now, the biggest thing is how strong the voice has been, you know, and the representation of so many of the coaches saying that this is exactly what they want. I mean, 90%, we were blown away at the survey numbers and, and the participation numbers. The time is right for what we need to do with our game. And, you know, it's been amazing, the feedback, and it's been 40 years that basically the schedule's never changed, right? You know, since before when I was playing, all the way through my whole coaching career, this schedule has never changed. We've basically seen the same routine from preseason being exactly what it is. We know better. And it's really important for us to make these adjustments. We're starting to now lean on some of the medical people that have come through and out of the COVID era, right? And trying to help them understand what we're doing and, and trying to get them to endorse the chief medical officers in the Big Ten. I've been speaking with them and seeing if they will endorse what we are trying to do with our platform. I think they're great influence to help move this project forward. We just have to do better with what we know. United Soccer Coaches is all about education. And so we've been leaning on them to help with that. First and foremost, our college services rep is Trish Hughes, and she has done a remarkable job of not just supporting our coaches on the women's side, but she's done a great job on the men's side of helping the whole 21st century schedule movement going forward. And she was pretty instrumental along with Rob Keogh over the years of helping Sasho and those guys get their model out in front of the NCAA and, it, and into the legislative cycle. That particular model is kind of being shelved at the moment by the NCAA until the transformation committee can figure out exactly what they're going to do. But if it wasn't for United Soccer Coaches, that wouldn't have happened. And by the way, all of us on the women's side want the men to get what they want. And we want them, if they want the two semester model, then we are 100% behind them. 
But Trish has done a great job of supporting that side, but also coming on the women's side and saying, what do you guys think is the best for you? And she's been a, a really good liaison with the NCAA. If it wasn't for United Soccer Coaches, none of this would be happening right now. Well, I want to make a comment that G made earlier that he supports the men going to the 21st century model, but the needs for the women are just different. We're not in competition with the men in the 21st century. I mean, I think that's a really important piece. We're just two very different, we're very different sports. The men's rosters, there's like 35% of their rosters come from overseas. On the women's side, it's less than 10%. It's just a very different model. Our recruiting is completely different. The makeup of our female to male staff is very different. And so to be spreading out our season over two semesters, it would really change the work-life balance in a way that most of our coaches don't support. That has been the number one thing. The work-life yeah. balance component is the really one of the biggest things that people have said is why they have no interest in it. We're on the road and recruiting in a much different manner than the men are. And it's not an us versus them thing. It's just, we have different needs in our sports. In the big picture, Dean, the way that men's basketball and women's basketball have a different rule book and a lot of differences to it. They play on the same court, except with a couple lines moved around. But we think that it would be nice if the NCAA would split men's and women's soccer and let men's soccer go for what they want. And they, they seem to be wanting to go for more, more towards FIFA and more towards the pro model. And the women's side, we keep hearing over and over, student-athlete experience, student-athlete experience. You know, it's about stu the student-athlete experience while they're in college, not so much about pro. We know we're developing professional athletes. Mostly national team came through the college system. So that's still working for us. And it's one of the big differences. And again, it's not to say it's us against them. It's just that they have specific desires and they're just different from what the women want. And I was shocked, G. I don't know if you knew this, but you know, I didn't realize we were 50-50 male to female. Right Me now. either. Yeah. Me either. And that was our survey. I mean, there was a gender question. There's just different demands. And the recruiting is different too, right? And, and like, I know I watch our guys going on the road versus how often we're on the road. You've got the genie bottle, Lori. Ideally, is this something that can happen next year or is it a couple years down the road? So the timing, I think, is always a challenge. Right now, we're still in the ideal phase and capturing people's passion for this idea and trying to move the idea forward. And the next phase is going to be the legislative phase. That is where we will really start to see what the probability of being able to push this through. I don't know the exact timing. You know, is it going to happen tomorrow? No, is probably more than a couple of years. So our hope would be by 2024 we would start to see this project being able to come to fruition. Last word time, if for some reason people just tuned in right now to hear about the expanded season model from two of the best coaches in the game, Lori Walker-Hawk from Ohio State and G. Guerrero from Texas A&M, and this is the only thing they hear, and you had one sentence to explain why you think the expanded season model should happen and it should happen quickly. We'll start with you, G, and then we'll give Lori Walker-Hawk the last word. In a nutshell, this is all about helping the student athlete. It's about trying to benefit them from a health and wellness standpoint. It's trying to help them from a mental health standpoint. It can be so overwhelming having two games, two games, two games every week. The other part of it is it's something that is there to help out just the game in general. We think that by spreading the games out a little bit, 
the games become better and the quality of play goes up. And I think that that helps to raise the image of the game, maybe the, the opportunities for people to come out to see some really, really great games instead of just people grinding out Sunday afternoon matches after a Thursday night game. So if we can make the game better, if we can help the student athletes to have a, a better experience, and if we can help the health and welfare of those kids, then that's what we're trying to do. And it, it's been what we've been always trying to do for the last 10 years. It's just nice that we finally have got this thing kind of in motion right now. And let's see if we can push over the finish line. We talk about developing professional players. This would allow our players, our student athletes to graduate in December and be immediately available to go into preseason camps with NWSL or even into Europe or wherever they want to go. If the seasons go on and on and you can't leave your team to go to play pro, which was one of your goals of coming to that school, then that also causes a bit of a, of a conflict for the players. And it makes for some really difficult decisions and it, it splits up teams as, uh, as you go along. That's what we learned from the 2021 NCAA tournament. Well, actually the 2020 NCAA tournament that was played in May of 2021. I had players who were drafted to go into the NWSL and then we went into the NCAA tournament in the spring and they had to make it up their mind of, are they going to not go into preseason camp with their new team and come with us to the NCAAs? Or are they going to start their career now that they've graduated and get on with their professional side of their life? Those are tough decisions for these kids. And in our case, I had two of them that went on to the pros and I had one of them that stayed for the other semester, but it made it to where we were a completely different team in the spring because we had so many of our influential players leaving because they graduated and they were picked to go into the professional ranks. Lori? So I believe that the expanded model is just an opportunity to transform college women's soccer for a variety of reasons. One, I think that it will optimize the student athlete experience. I think it aligns with the campus experience. It maintains the fall model of a one semester model, and it still allows our student athletes to graduate in December if that is what they're looking to do. It gives them the opportunity to possibly take harder classes or go abroad or do some of the other things that a normal college student would do in the spring. It decompresses the championship season and it provides right now what I believe is the most important part of this whole model, which is a proper acclimation period on the front end. And I think if we've learned anything out of COVID, it's that proper preparation is going to help decrease their injuries and influence those injuries on the front end, which ultimately leads to a better collegiate experience. You know, as I always like to tell my players, the best players are available players. And if we can keep more players out of the training room, ultimately we're going to have less mental health issues. So I think the time is right for this. It's been 40 years since there've been any changes made. And I think now is the best time to influence this and expand the fall season. What a great, great segment. The expanded season model with Lori Walker-Hawk, now in her 26th season, leading the Buckeyes, and G. Guerrero in his 30th season, leading Texas A&M. Good luck tonight against Sam Houston, G., and thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, Lori, we'll see you in a couple of weeks up in uh, Columbus. 
Thanks, and, Jay. Good luck tonight. And Lori Walker-Hawk, we'll see you tomorrow on the Big Ten Network as you take on BYU, who lost to Florida State in the final a year ago. That'll be a great matchup. Lori Walker-Hawk, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. We'll see you tomorrow. A whole lot to take in right there as we thank Lori Walker-Hawk and G. Guerreri. The show is not over. We also cover high school soccer on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and we visit with the boys and girls head coach at Lane Tree Charter Academy in Mooresville, North Carolina, by way of Scotland through UW-Green Bay to Marquette. Martin Conway is our guest after these messages. This is Dean Linke, longtime college soccer play-by-play man, reminding all college soccer coaches to amplify your upcoming season with the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Register now for the 2022-23 season and gain access to valuable resources you can use all season long. From educational programming to general liability insurance, the list of member benefits is endless. Make sure your program gets the recognition they deserve through All-America, Scholar All-America, Staff of the Year, and Team Awards available for College Services members. Don't miss out. Early bird registration ends October 1st, so sign up today by going to unitedsoccercoaches.org. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches, less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a tremendous jam-packed show with superstars. Hank Steinbrecher kicking it off. Great to spend time with Lori Walker-Hawk, the head coach of Ohio State, G. Guerreri, the head coach of Texas A&M. And now high school soccer season is already underway. They're already playing games. So we're going to talk high school soccer and beyond with Martin Conway. Martin Conway is the head coach at Langtree Charter Academy, where he is also very much involved with the North Carolina Charter Educational Foundation Governing Board. We'll get to that as well, but now in his third year, a little bit more on Martin Conway. He's originally from Scotland and has lived in the USA since 1995. He worked for quite some time with GlaxoSmithKline, a powerhouse company. Now he does some fascinating healthcare work. We'll get to that as well. He attended Marquette University on an NCAA Division I D1 soccer scholarship and graduated with an undergraduate degree and a master's degree as well. A brilliant person and continues to dedicate his time to where his kids go to school as well. He's got four kids, by the way, with his lovely wife, Julianne. And with that, we welcome in Martin Conway to this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Martin, great to be with you. Thanks a lot, Dean, for the intro. Delighted to be on and uh, awesome to be here and privileged to hear the names of those folks that have been on here already. It's uh, it's very humbling. So thanks for the invitation. Yeah, well, we're excited about uh, your background. We're excited about uh, what you're doing on the field and off the field. And of course, we're excited about high school soccer because as you might know, Martin, 30,000 members, the great majority of members with United Soccer Coaches actually come from the youth and high school games. So we try to do a better job even on this podcast to make sure we represent high school soccer. I love high school soccer. Both my kids were basketball players, but they played high school soccer and they loved every moment of it. Can you speak to the values of high school soccer, sir? 
Yes, I can. And I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here. There's many people who've gone before me here in the, the high school soccer world, but I think many of the values that we talk about, you know, teamwork, mentoring, learning to win, learning to lose, learning to what, what's your role on the field, what's your role on the bench. You know, you don't just represent team name, but your family and yourself. And I'm a believer in that every single thing you do matters, you know, from your body language to being on time to accepting defeat with grace. Many of the lessons that we talk about, at least on my team and the coaches that I'm fortunate to work with locally in our conference, I know we share similar values. So and there's something about young men and young women walking around the, the high school corridors, you know, with their jersey on, feeling proud to represent the team. So there's there's absolutely a place for, for club sports, obviously, and club soccer. But high school soccer, at least in my view, is alive and well. And, and some of the recent developments, at least in the Lake Norman area, show that this collaboration with the club world is, is putting the student athlete first. So I'm honored to be part of this and delighted to be able to impact the lives of these young men and young women. Yeah, we always love to hear on this podcast the collaboration to make sure that you're not necessarily saying, hey, you can only play, you know, with your youth club, you can't play high school soccer. And you've already talked about the fact that you've made that collaboration work. I think you can do both, right? I believe so. I believe so. I mean, in a in, in a in a world a long time ago when I was, uh, you know, 160 pounds and 16 years of age, you, you kind of made it work. You know, the high school coaches say, yeah, we'd love to see you there on Tuesday and Thursday. And sometimes you'd have to leave early because you've got a club game or a club commitment. But it works out as long as the individual student athlete or players is given the respect that he, she deserves and makes the best choice for them. I'm okay. I believe there's enough space for everybody here. And uh, there's really good signals, at least in this area, that we're working hard to collaborate and put the, put the individual at the center of it. I want to hear your entire story because I love the fact you came over from Scotland to get your education here. And I can tell it was more than just soccer because you've had an impressive working career as well. But I want to focus particularly on charter schools. I need to admit, that my oldest son, I was really hoping that he was going to get into Woods Charter School around the Chapel Hill area. I love that school, but because of the lottery situation, he did get in, so we had to make other arrangements. But I've been really impressed with Woods Charter, and then I had the opportunity to spend some time with Bradford Prep, another charter school, and then spending time with you. You are on the board, one of the leaders of the North Carolina Charter Educational Foundation Governing Board. Can you explain to maybe some people that are listening that don't understand what a charter school is and particularly in the state of North Carolina why it's so important yeah I absolutely can before I do that you make me laugh talking to Bradford we have a game at four o'clock this afternoon against Bradford so I'll be sure to talk to coach Jaconis about that and pick his brain um, yeah charter schools are taxpayer funded it's a, it's a choice school and um so I'm not going to get into too much of the politics of it but essentially folks can apply to get into the school it's taxpayer funded tends to be smaller class size, uh, tends to be a bit more flexibility or agility and how quickly things can move, whether it's curriculum or, or various other activities. So where I grew up, Scotland and England, you didn't really have much of much of a choice, frankly. So coming over here, my eldest daughter is somebody who needs a bit of a smaller environment. So that's what initially attracted us to, to the charter schools. She's now 15. She's thriving. My son, 12. He's doing fine. He's very soccer driven. So he's not so much. I'm not going to say he's thriving at the charter school because he's a 12 year old boy. But that's it. it tends to be smaller class sizes, a bit more flexibility. I love it. The school that my children go to, we love it. Somebody in that school cares for my children. They love my children. They know their names. The children are safe and they're being pushed. And every day someone's telling them, hey, great job. 
And every day someone's saying, is that the best you can do? I think you can do a bit more. So we love it for, for the intimacy um, and for the sense of community and uh, the education that they are receiving is one that I believe is going to help them thrive in this new world because the world's changing drastically. And we're fortunate that the curriculum can change with that to help prepare these young men and young women. So I'm a fan. Not everybody is, but for my family and for, for many others in this area, this school works and there are other high quality charter schools in the Lake Norman area. So we're very privileged. Yeah. For all those reasons, I was a fan as well. And what my heart was broken that uh, my son's name didn't get pulled out of the lottery. We even showed up at the lottery pool, which I don't know if they still do that yep. these days or not, but uh, obviously it was a big day and uh, we were disappointed. In fact, ironically, the day school started, we got a call and said, hey, there's an opening, but we had already made arrangements oh. for him to go to school in Ohio. Unlucky, I think, for sure. But, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned to you, Martin, you're not the only famous Martin from Scotland that I've worked with as Martin Rennie used to be the coach of the Carolina Railhawks. He's from Scotland. He's gone on to a great career. And now I've got to know you after the last two to three years. I would love to hear your story about being in Scotland and saying, I want to go to a university in the United States and then how and why you picked Marquette. Thanks. It's um, Martin really is a fantastic coach and person. I don't know him personally, but I followed his career for maybe the last 10 or 12 years. So uh, yeah, phenomenal person. So I was born in Scotland and my dad was a police officer. So we moved to England when I was maybe six or seven, my younger brother and I and my mom. So we ended up living in kind of, you call it the suburbs. We lived in Milton Keynes in England for a while. We lived in Reading, just west of London for a while. So that's where I grew up. I, I never really felt like I fit in truthfully because I always cheered for Scotland, you know, and living in England, you cheer for Scotland, you're going to get picked on at school. So whether it was football, where Scotland invariably lost, rugby, Scotland invariably lost, or, or, or that, it was, it was a bit rough on occasions. But grew up there, always had a passion for playing, always had a passion for playing. I, and I think it was, I didn't like to stand out in life I didn't like to speak up and I could go on the field the referee would blow the whistle you cross the white lines and I just now I understand that it's more flow I, I'm present I'm in the moment and being able to score a goal give an assist do a Cruyff turn do a step over whatever it was you can impact things and I wasn't so self-conscious so I loved football soccer all the way through I spent some time at Crystal Palace as a 13 14 year old signed a schoolboy form which I won't go into that but spent some time at Brighton and Hove Albion for a couple of years loved it there had amazing coaches there that really broke down everything I did and analyzed it and helped help develop my game beyond the typical 15 16 year old and then I, I signed a apprentice professional form with Reading Football Club when I was 17. And I worked with Mick Hickman, who worked with an Australian national team coach, and uh, Mark McGee, who's most recently coaching in Scotland. So being around these people, being around these players, it, the, the intensity is just hard to describe. You know, you can be a, a good or a strong player on a 15, 16 year old club team. Okay. And I go home to mom and dad's house and mom cooks me dinner and I sleep in my bed and she takes me to school the next morning. You go in and play with these guys, their lives depend on it. Like that 30 minute practice game, their life depends on it. And that was the single biggest shock to me was not the, was not the ability or the strength. I knew they were great. I knew they were big and strong and experienced. Dean, they would go after me in the practice. Like it was the world cup final. And I was like, what is happening? This is a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. We're having a kick around. Yeah, but I didn't realize. So that was my epiphany. Like, oh, this matters. So long story short, my mentality wasn't as good as it should have been. Old. Now I can look back and say that the habits that got me, that earned me that were not the habits that I continued when I was there. You know, I thought I'd made it and I didn't work as hard as I should have. So I went back to, we call it night school in England, but college and um, finished up some high school work. 
And then um, my parents took me and my brother to the USA for a vacation for three weeks. This was around uh, 94 when um, World Cup was going on. So Hank being on here is just amazing considering how the, the parallels here and his involvement here. And I remember being in Kansas City and, uh, you know, you had the OJ Simpson thing and the game was on, right? There was a World Cup game on. And all of a sudden, like live at five, Kansas City News interrupted the game because, he, and I didn't know, like, he's driving down a highway. <laughs> I lose it. I'm like... Who interrupts the World Cup? Like, what? I don't, I don't care what's going on. You don't interrupt the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so um, we had a great trip. On that trip, I I taught a couple of colleges. I uh, spoke to you know Southwest Missouri State in Missouri and a couple of others in Ohio, and then went back to went back to England and really had to fix my attitude and get my academic stuff in order. So I did that. I was motivated. And then a, a year later, I came back and uh, I actually went to Wisconsin Green Bay for two years under coach Dave Poggi and Simon Bodison. I had an awesome experience there for a couple of years. And then I needed to change, you know, Marquette University in Milwaukee. I had a couple of friends who transferred down there from Green Bay and uh, was fortunate that coach Adlard was interested in me coming down. So I left Green Bay, took the two hour journey south to Marquette and then had a great three or four years there, frankly, undergrad, academically, got my stuff in order, met some great people, met my wife there, went to graduate school. So that's kind of the, the three or four minute version of you know, me growing up and how I ended up in, at least in Wisconsin. Wow. And Steve Adlard was a member of the association mm -hmm. and went on to lead a, a youth club out in, I think, Wyoming or Utah or somewhere like yeah. that as well when he was done coaching college. And then I would call his son who played for Indiana. I remember yeah. a couple of big time goals that he scored on the Big Ten Network. So I like the ties that bind there. Yeah. But one of the things that I really love about you looking at your background, particularly you saying that it took a little while for the light to go off. I mean, look, not only did you get your college degree, I mean, you worked for GlaxoSmithKline for a long time. I think you actually led the North Carolina sales force for GlaxoSmithKline, at least a division of it. And now you have your own company as well. Can you just talk about how that light went off? And I mean, Martin, away from soccer, you've had an impressive career. Yeah, thanks for saying it. Um, I don't really know how to best answer the question, Dan, so I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the best I can. And I'll tie in Steve Adler too, because he was pivotal here. I think it just comes down to ownership and ultimately having, having agency over what, what do you want your impact on the world to be? You know, for me, I was, I was always kind of happy to be there. Wow, Green Bay, this is great. This is awesome. I'm happy to be here. At Marquette, wow, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And for Steve, that was never enough. Steve was like, I don't want you just to be happy to be here. I want you to dominate. I want you to lean in. I want you to step into that void. You're, there's more to you than you are giving, he said. And we had a couple of come to Jesus talks, one in particular after we got absolutely destroyed down at UNC Charlotte. The next morning, I'll never forget, he, you know, he tore into me like there was no tomorrow. So I think I just got to a point in life, Dean, where I was, I was encouraged and empowered by others who believe in me. They believe in me to do a bit more. And that's something I bring forward to this day with my own children, with the kids I'm fortunate to coach. Like we need leaders in the world. We don't need followers. You know, we need people to speak up, to be vulnerable, to say it's okay to not have all the answers. We're going to try. This is a safe place. If you make a mistake, we learn, we'll redress it. So we're going to learn from it. We're going to react to the situation, figure out what do we learn from it? What can we do better next time? And just keep moving the ball forward, keep moving forward and trying to get better. So yeah, very fortunate with Galaxo, phenomenal experience, an amazing company. You've got resources at your fingertips and the quality of professionals that I interacted with there from day one to year 16 is, is top notch. And the lessons there that transcend that world 
I'm a, I apply those every single day. And now with my current, you know, my current career, trying to take care of folks in their own home. Again, it's all, everything's humans, right? Humans are complex and <laughs> we're a complex group of people. But if you see people, you respect people, you trust them, you tell them the truth, you own it when you make a mistake and try and show grace all the way through that, that many of the lessons there that, that Steve talked about and uh, Glaxo talk about, just see the person, you know, put, put the patient, the other person at the middle, at the center of your focus and you'll be okay. Well, and you're also taking that a step further with the Charlotte Independence, which is a, a pretty good name in youth soccer and also in professional soccer for that matter, even sharing the same city with a major league soccer franchise and this is the United Soccer Coaches, which is all about sharing and helping people grow. What are you doing with the Charlotte Independence? Because I find that fascinating. Yeah, thanks. It's been a pretty recent development. I do some work on the recreational side, which is new, but I think my, my major passion is really coaching the coaches. And I'm not talking, you know, the merits of a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2 or a counter-attack or a false nine. I'm talking more how we develop in the, the coaches that come into these organizations or come into the independence. How we help and support them? What's their onboarding? And again, I'm not talking soccer. I'm talking interpersonal skills. I'm talking team culture. I'm talking meetings. I'm talking your body language. I'm talking group communications when you've got 16 or 17, 12-year-olds and, you know, three or four of them are looking you in the eye. Most of them are, you know, maybe scratching their nose and four or five of them, you look at the top of their head. All right, what message are you sending? How do you handle that? How do you handle the kid who thinks he, she's the superstar and it's all about them scoring six goals? How do you handle the young man or young woman who doesn't play too much? How do you handle the young man or young woman who they'll play in the, the sixth position for you, but they really want to play the 10, you know? And I'm not saying they're always right, but I am saying that these are situations that transcend youth soccer. You know, you, you know, it's, you're interacting with human beings. We have to deal with people who come from a different perspective, who handle situations differently. And in much of the work I did with Glaxo, I'm super, super fortunate. The training we got was first class. So many of the lessons and many of the models and many of the the strategies that we have for interacting with people, they apply directly here. So I'm, I'm fortunate that Thomas Finley and, and the team there are very open and passionate about this. So I'm helping build a program here to help, you know, help develop the coaches. So as if they're here for six months or they're here for five years, we're going to make the coaches better, not from a soccer perspective, but when they leave or they move through the independence, not only are we, are we improving the quality of our interpersonal communication with our players and with our parents, but whenever they go on to do something else, whether it's soccer or not soccer, they'll have these lessons and we're going to help make them better. Just two more questions. If someone just heard you describing what you're doing with the Charlotte Independence and said, hey, I wouldn't mind Martin doing that with my team. Uh, is that possible, Martin? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Just reach out. Yep. Reach out. Okay, perfect. And then with that, closing it down, you've already started your high school season. As we already mentioned, high school soccer is so important to the association. Based on your career, Martin Conway, you do not need to be a high school soccer coach. Can you just end with putting into words why you love being a high school soccer coach so much? Oh, yeah, I can. Um, no, I don't need to do it. I don't, but it's the it's the best paid minimum wage job I've ever had in my life, Dean. I'll be honest with you, it's the best pay to be able to listen, to be able to guide and to be able to tell these young men, which I'm going to tell them at 3.57 today, here's my team talk. Hey guys, I need to see your eyes. This is about believing in yourself. It's about trusting each other and it's about focusing on what you can control. All right. All three of those things, they will apply at four o'clock today until six. They'll also apply at six o'clock and they'll apply tomorrow. So to be able to stand in front of these young men and, and the young women in the spring, be able to stand in front of them, listen to them, help them problem solve and help them realize that this anxiety that they may be feeling, that's okay. Just accept it. 
don't let it own you accept it take a deep breath focus on the next step that to me it's not about winning games i do want to win but it's not about winning games it's about positively impacting their lives and i'm very fortunate with the, the work with glaxo and, and some other fortunate events in life I, I i have the time to spend two or three hours five days a week in the fall coaching and interacting and helping guide and mentor these young men so i absolutely love it and then the conference that we work in, you know, Christ the King, Mark Paul at Pine Lake, Lee at CSD, Ted at Mountain Island. These are phenomenal men working really, really hard to help guide and steer these young men. So that's why I do it. That's why I do it. Well, we wish you the best of luck in your high school season as Martin Conway, not only on the board of directors for the North Carolina Charter Educational Foundation Governing Board, he is the head coach at where all four of his kids will be attending Lane Tree Charter Academy in Mooresville, North Carolina, also doing work with the Charlotte Independents, an amazing career that's only going to get better. Martin Conway, thanks for tying it together with Hank as well and that 94 World Cup. What a great show. And Martin Conway, you're a great part of it. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for the invite. Thanks for all you do. Really fantastic show. Hank Steinbrecher, Lori Walker-Hawk, G. Guerreri, and Martin Conway. Fabulous guests, fabulous show. Thanks to all four of them. Also want to thank Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches. My producer is Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, the great members of United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.